Aren't you glad that um, he woke you up this morning? I mean, while we were laying there in the image of death, he touched us this morning, woke us up, filled our lungs with breath, clothed us in our right mind so we can make our way here to meet him and meet one another. God is good, isn't he? Isn't he good? Father, we just thank you for this day, this worship service. Our eyes have seen your glory already this morning. Our hearts are filled with joy already this morning. So, Father, as we move now into your word being proclaimed, we ask you to continue to speak to us, guide and direct us. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Visit each seat, each aisle, each row. Lord, we open ourselves up to you. In Jesus' name, let us all pray and say together, amen, amen. Let's give God praise as we have our seats this morning. Yes. We continue in um, this Advent series this morning. If you were here last week, you know that Keith started us out with a message on preparation. Let me pause there for a second, Advent. That might be a word that's not familiar to some of us who don't come from a background where Advent is celebrated. Make it real simple for you. Advent just simply means coming. Coming. And during this particular time of the year, we take four weeks, some years is three, and each Sunday we kind of reflect and we celebrate the coming, the coming of the one, the only Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Next week, we'll be looking at through the lens of arrival. The following week, we will be looking at Advent through the lens of just what it means for the response. And then Christmas Eve, the expectations of his coming again. But this morning, I have a particular assignment that I want to do this morning, and it's on this theme of arrival. You know, Keith last week used the kind of the vehicle, if you will, of a journey to kind of launch into this series. And he talked about, if you didn't get the message, I encourage you to do so, um, just about a trip that he and Pam took several years ago. They went to England. And he talked about the preparation that it took to make that trip happen. I love the way the message closed because I, I, listened, I wasn't here last Sunday, but I listened to it. And at the closing, he talked about it as when he was going off to his first church and how at his home church, they invited him down to the altar so they could pray, and the pastor prayed for him. And then when he got up and he looked around, all the people that had meant so much in his life was behind him. And he realized that preparation had been taking place long before that moment when he was ready to go forward. He saw it in the eyes of his mother and his father and his grandparents and teachers and coaches, all those is before the preparation. This morning, I wanted to kind of set the stage for this message by talking about a journey that 
my wife and I, we've been taken for, we've been married 30 years now. We've been taken for many of the 30 years that we've been married. We go to a foreign country too. It's called Mississippi. I thought some of y'all would find that funny. I don't know why, but I just put that in there. And, and you know, every year, you know, that's our thing. We go to our, my parents' home and, you know, we share Christmas with them. And, and um, this year is, is kind of a bittersweet because we've been talking about it. We're beginning to realize that um, we're not going to be able to take that trip like we've been taking it all these years because our two youngest, all of our children, DJ, Chris, and DeAndre, we have memories of them in the back seat as we took that trip. It's about a six-hour drive to Mississippi. And um, I don't know about you, but we don't get too far out of Columbus and they start those questions. How far is it, Dad? How long does it take? Six hours. How long have we been going? About 30 minutes. <laughs> daddy, 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 you know, how many, how, where we got to go? Try to explain that we got to go through Georgia, we're going to go into Alabama, and then we go to Mississippi. We in Alabama yet? Yeah, yeah, we've been in Alabama for a few minutes. They go to sleep, wake back up. We, we in Alabama yet? Yes, we're still in Alabama. It's kind of a, you know, it takes a while to get through there. And then they ask that, that question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, our children are getting older, and, you know, we're not going to have that, but don't feel bad for us. we got grandchildren now, and they ask. They, I believe every child learns that question, you know. Are we there yet? That might be what you look like in your car when you're driving as they ask that question. Are we there yet? This morning, I believe that's a question that we all have. It's a question that we all have. It might not be on a journey to a destination, to a place. It may be on a journey through some hard places in your life. And we could be just like those kids in the backseat of that car. Daddy, are we there yet? Daddy, when is this trip going to be over? Daddy, 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 daddy. Can we stop? I'm tired. Daddy. Eugene Peterson, he kind of sets the stage in a way that's different. He doesn't use a journey of a trip in a vehicle or on a plane. He uses a journey of one that we've already talked about here this morning that we've seen, and it's a beautiful thing. He uses a journey of pregnancy to kind of do the same thing. Look with me, if you will, Romans 8, 22. I, I have the paraphrase from Eugene Peterson up on the screen. Verses 22 through 25. Listen to how Eugene Peterson describes it. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Isn't that just beautiful? 
This morning, I want to speak to you for a few minutes on, the, on one word, and that word is anticipation. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 2. That's where our scripture will be coming from, our text will be coming from that we will look at this morning. But I want you to get this word, anticipation, in your mind. Anticipation. You know, today, anticipation has sometimes a negative kind of connotation to it. When we think about anticipation, we're talking about getting somewhere and we're trying to go through this and we got to go through this stuff and we're not there yet, we're not there yet, when are we going to get there? And we, we just, it's like a feeling, a feeling of, ex, ex, you know, expected things to come. That's kind of where we settle at with this word anticipation. But may I remind you of the definition of the word ex- anticipation. Anticipation, as, is, as it is defined, simply says this, it's to foresee and act in advance of. It's to foresee and act in advance of. Anticipation is not really this gloom and doom, bad feeling that we have because we can't get what we want. It's not here yet. Anticipation is really something that we start to take action. We start to see things before we ever get there because we've been promised something in the future and we anticipate it for it to come forth. Those children in the back seat of the car were told, we're going to grandma and granddaddy's house for Christmas. They knew their cousins were going to be there. They knew there was going to be presents up on the tree. They knew grandpa, when they got a little older, they knew grandpa and grandma were going to get a little envelope they're going to slide to them at the end of the day. So they were anticipating something. They knew they had a promise, and they were looking forward to it. You and I, whatever stages of life in, whatever our story, whatever our narrative of our story is right now, we're anticipating something in the future. I want to use, if I could, can I do this? I'm glad you agree. I want to use two characters from the Bible to kind of flesh out this whole thing about anticipation. And I want us to look at these two characters, and I want us to learn from them. I believe we can learn some vital lessons about how we should conduct ourselves, how our, our posture should be as in this season of anticipation. This might be useful for some of us because in this season that we are in right now, you know, you know it's all this buying and, and, and going and doing and decorating, and, and we can get lost in all of that, but we can learn from two characters, two unlikely characters, two characters that appear only one time in the Bible, and it's right here where we're getting ready to go right now. We're going to see these two characters. It's the only place they show up, and they're the most unlikely of folks, but I think they have some rich lessons to teach us about navigating a season of anticipation. Are you interested? Lean in here right here. Lean on in. Lean on in real close. All right? Listen up. First, the first, the first character is a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon. Now, if you pick up on, uh, we're going to start at verse number 25. Now, here's the context. Jesus has been born. Mother his mother Mary and father Joseph are bringing him to the temple to be consecrated as the custom was in that day. That's, that's, that's what's happening here. Now, let's pick it up. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Let's, let's pause there for a second because we need to look at this real close. 
Simeon, a man in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish man. The Bible describes him as righteous and devout. And look, he was waiting. Talking about a season of anticipation, he was waiting. How long had he been waiting? All of his life he had been waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. But not only was he waiting, but the people of Israel had been waiting. You know how long they had been waiting? A long, long time. May I remind you that at the setting that we are reading right now, there had been 400 years prior to this where there was no word from any prophet from God for the people of God. May I remind you that there was hundreds and hundreds of years since the, the, the promises of God that they knew because, see, Simeon would have been like all other Jews. They knew these promises of the father Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. They knew the beginning of the story, how God told them that he was going to deliver them and he was going to make kingdoms as, as many as the stars in the sky. They knew all of this. But their reality was that here they were in a place where they were under Roman oppression. And there was no kingdom visible that they could see. And yet, here in the middle of all this, Simeon, the Bible says, was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die. Listen to that. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Messiah, the one who was going to be the conqueror, to be the deliverer, I'm sorry, the deliverer of the people. He was going to be able to see him for himself. That's a promise, isn't it? He had something to hold on to. I wonder, do you have a promise in your life that you can hold on to? A promise from the Lord for you that you can hold on to. Just, if you don't, just stay with me. We're going to come up with one. I'm going to suggest one to you, for you before we leave today. I believe it will help you. The second person, well, wait a minute. Before I leave Simeon, why in the world would he be so steadfast? Why would he be so devout and righteous? He, he knew the law. He knew these promises. I believe one of the promises he knew we could probably find in Isaiah's uh, writings. Look, look with me at Isaiah. Look, look what Isaiah wrote in the, in the seventh chapter as he was dealing with these people at the time of Israel that were going back and forth. They couldn't, they couldn't quite make up our mind if they, if their minds if they were going to serve God or not. And look what Isaiah said to him: Here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's the promise that Simeon had, that he knew. And evidently, he believed because he was watching and he was waiting. The second person, find down at the bottom uh, later on in this, in this chapter, down, down by verse number 30, 36. The second person is a woman, a prophet. Verse 36 reads, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple for worship night and day 
fasting, and praying. I love these bookends of the characters. We got Simeon, a righteous, devout man. We have Anna. The Bible describes her as a very old woman. Look closely. Can you see it? She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. You're talking about waiting. Obviously, he died. And she could have turned inward. She could have found her a kinsman redeemer, if you would. But no, she chose not to do that. What does the Bible say she did? She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. What in the world would cause Anna to take that kind of action? Why would she go to the temple night and day and worship and praise him? She was a prophet. You know, prophets, they, they hear from the Lord and they speak to the people about what the Lord is saying. And I believe she, too, had her grips on promises that had been made that she knew that fueled her steadfastness, that caused her to be sold out to being watching to watching and waiting. I, I believe she probably was familiar with Isaiah as well. Turn with me to Isaiah 61. I want, I want to just suggest something that might have meant a lot to Anna. This needs some words. I'm going to start at verse 1, and then we're going to pick up with verse 3, but let's start back at verse 1. These words are familiar to you, I'm quite sure. Isaiah wrote this hundreds and hundreds of years before this event was taking place. He said, he wrote, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. I believe this meant a lot to Anna, this part right here, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. That was a promise that she held on to, that she knew. She wasn't looking for a kingsman redeemer. She knew that the redeemer was going to come. And she was waiting. You know, when we talk about anticipation during a season like this, normally, you know, naturally, we would talk about the historical advent when Jesus came, as we're reading right here. But, you know, that's not all there is to it. Because I know some of you are like me. That's not the only time Jesus showed up. He showed up in my life. When, I was, when it was dark and when I was lost, when I didn't know my way, he showed up in my life. Has he showed up? Did he show up in your life? Did he show up in your life? You know, and, and, and the fact, the fact, the truth of the matter is, is that we desire for him to show up again. Because even though he showed up in my life, my life continued on. Some things started to happen in my life. Some stuff goes on in my family with my children. And I'm looking for God. I'm looking for Jesus to show up again. Anybody need for him to show up again in your life? 
Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I, pro- I know that his promises are true, and he will show up. So I just need to watch, and I need to wait, and I need to stay steadfast because he will show up because he showed up for me. I know he'll show up for the person that I'm thinking about right now. Do you know what I'm talking about? But then finally, you know, there's also the promise that he's going to show up again in final glory, and he's going to make all things new. Aren't you looking forward to that day? See, it's, it's not just one or the other. It's all of them all combined. Yeah. All right, don't let me get too excited. Too I don't want to go too far. All right. Let's, let's look at what they did. We talked about who they were. Let's look at who, what they did. Now, we, we, we established who they were. Let's go back to Simeon. I'm going to take you back and forth. I hope you don't mind. But here we go. Let's look at Simeon. When we last, Simeon, last left Simeon, uh, we, we talked about how he, he was... Um, waiting on the consolation of Israel. And it had been revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Look what happens next in in verse number 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, we pause right there. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Think about this for a second. I, I, I want to pause. You know, I, I don't, I, we don't have time to talk about the, the, the temple and what it looked like and how big it was. We're just going to use our imagination. Let's say that he, we're just going to use this as a, as, a, as a temple right here. And I want to use you as an example. You know, you in Simeon's shoes. And, and, and you're looking for, God has told you that day, go to the temple now. Go to the temple. Because you're going to see the Messiah. And you go in the temple and all these people going back and forth. And he said, he just, can you imagine you're just standing looking? I know he's here somewhere. Holy Spirit told me he's here. Look at the next verse. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. You know what that means? That means the Holy Spirit showed him exactly who he was. Now, I, I, I tell you, God knew who he was dealing with. He knew he needed to have, he needed to have Simeon. He needed to have Derek. Because if he had Derek, Derek would have been said, oh, that looks like him over there. That can't be him right there. Surely they can't be that child right there. See, because we have our preconceived ideas of what he must, what he was going to look like. But the Holy Spirit revealed to him who he was. And look what he did. The Bible says that he took him in his arms and praised God. And he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I wonder what Mary and Joseph was thinking. Here this, what we think is an older man, standing in the temple, looking around at folks, and all of a sudden he laid eyes on the one known as Jesus. And he went up right over and picked him up and praised God. They weren't disturbed because they knew too. Look what he says. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Just a pause right there. You know, when you've been saved, what did he save you from? Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, earth-shattering, mind-blowing to the Gentiles? 
He, he, he prepared this as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad that they included the Gentiles? This was news to a lot of the Jews, but it wasn't news to Simeon because Simeon, the Holy Spirit had been on him and had guided him and revealed to him. He knew the truth of the matter. What about Anna? Anna's story is a little different because he, what happens, he, he raises up, he prays the child, and he talks to Mary and Joseph. Look at what Anna does. Anna's just there. She's, she's been coming every day. She's been fasting and praying. And look what the Bible says about Anna, the old lady, the very old lady, the widow. The Bible says she just came up to him at that very moment. She knew. She gave thanks to God, and then look, look what she did next, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, real quickly, I want to give you four tips on how to navigate this season of anticipation as we get from the story that we just went through. Four simple points. It won't be long. It's not complicated. You might want to jot them down. Number one, first thing we need to do is realize that God is faithful. That's what Anna and Simeon realized. That's what kept them coming back. That's what kept them watching and waiting. They knew that God was faithful. God is faithful. Anybody here can testify to the fact that God is faithful? Now, 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 look, we need to encourage one another. Anybody can testify to the fact that God is faithful? I, I'm not asking you to respond like that just for my benefit. But there are some sitting here that's going through some stuff right now, and they need to hear that word. They need to know from their brothers and sisters. They need to be reminded that God is faithful because they're going through some things right now. They don't know how they're going to make it to tomorrow or next week or next year. But God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. God is faithful. I look around this room, and I know some of y'all, if y'all gave you the mic right now, you can testify to the fact that God is faithful because I knew you on a time when you didn't know how it was going to turn out. But look at you now. God is faithful. He will do what he says that he will do. Now, this is the thing now. Will he do it when you want him to do it? Sometimes, but a lot of times not. But we can count on him to get it done. He was going to keep his promises in his time. Why is he going to keep it in his time? Because he is all-knowing. He knows what time it needs to be. This time that we're talking about here came at a specific time when the word was ready, the kingdom was ready to explode across the globe. There was no other time ready other than this time that we saw Simeon and Anna see the Messiah in the temple. And the same thing goes for you and whatever you're going through. God knows. He knows. And you just keep watching and waiting and, and keep applying the other things. We're going to talk about I've got three more things. Don't, don't go to sleep on me. But the number one, you can't, you can't do the other three if you don't get this one right. God is faithful. The second thing, the next thing you need to do is you want a tip on how to survive a life of anticipation, follow our God. And our God has a name, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Do you notice how Simeon, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him. The Holy Spirit guided him to the temple that day. 
And guess what? On this side of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit is no longer on us. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. He's in us. And that, and that helps us be able to be guided through this thing of anticipation. No matter what your circumstances is, no matter what your trials and tribulations are, no matter what you got to face, God is in you. And if you would just get quiet and listen, he will guide you. It might not make sense. It might be going around the corner, but just keep on walking with him and he will see you through. The third thing, the third thing, thank and praise God for your salvation. Because you see, because I know I've been saved, I can have faith and I know that he's faithful. I know that he visited me when I was against him and I was against myself. He came down and he set up camp to come see about little old me. And I know he's come to see about you as well. Always thank and praise God. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's thank and praise God for what he has done in our life right here at this moment. One last thing, one last thing, one last thing. We get this from, we get this from, both, we get this from both Simeon and Anna, especially Anna. The last tip I got you if you want to navigate through this life of anticipation, if you don't want to get frozen, and if you don't want to get stuck, if you don't want to start regressing, these four things, these four attempts, I'm just offering them to you as, as maybe a possible aid for you. The last one, tell others about Jesus. I, I, you know, I'm sorry I didn't use a strong language like I started to use, and I'm going to go ahead and correct myself right now. Tell everybody you can about Jesus. Tell others is just not quite good enough. Tell everybody you can about Jesus, the light of the world. Tell everybody you know about Jesus. I know, I know you just can't be out on the street corner for a but you know, God will give you opportunities and some of those opportunities start right back in our homes where we go back to where we live and those people that you left at home didn't come to church. Start with them right there. Tell them about Jesus. You ain't got to preach to them. All you got to do is tell them, let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you what difference he's made in my life. Tell them about Jesus, who is the light of the world. We're going to close this time before we go to a response. And those that's praying for people, I want you to get ready. As a matter of fact, if you're going to be praying for people, I want you to start moving toward the front. Don't come up behind all altars yet, but I want you to move toward the front. All right? Move toward the front. Get on one of these front seats up here so when we get ready to pray, you're going to be ready to move right then because we're going to do one thing before we do that. I don't see nobody moving, not one soul. That concerns me. Okay. If you're going to pray for people, I want you to come and get in these front aisles up here. Find a seat. There's some seats available right here. Because when I call for you, I want you to get up here because I believe, look here, look here, anticipation. Anticipation. I, 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 I got to say this. This morning, the way we started at 930 this morning, I, you know, we prayed back there. Man, the mics wouldn't work. We couldn't get sound. You know, all the, all the singers had sound, but B, key, you know, the break point, none of them was working. And I, we got back there to pray. I, I, all I could pray was, Lord, I know you up to something good today. I know you up to something good. Now, so I'm, expect, I'm anticipating the Lord to show up in here in somebody's heart this morning. So y'all get ready to pray. But to set the tone for that, I want to share with you a little story. Anytime we hear a song that touches our heart, I believe it's good to just talk about the heart of the one that wrote the song. Anybody familiar with the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? 
Raise your hand if you are. Okay. I had never heard of it before we got ready to do that Advent reading. And, and someone pointed out to me that a part of that Advent reading was a verse out of that song. And then, and then Nick shared with me the story behind the song. And I want to close with this. I want you to think about this. Listen to this. Just listen to it. Listen to it. Henry Wadsworth, Wadsworth Longfellow. This song flows out of his experience. His experience of the tragic death of his wife, Fanny, and the crippling injury of his son, Charles. See, it began, this song began to be composed in his heart, in his spirit, in 1861. In 1861, for you historians, that's when the first shot was fired that started the American Civil War on April the 12th. And in July 10th of that same year, Fanny Longfellow died in a fire in their home. It's a tragic situation. The first Christmas after she died, Longfellow wrote these words, how inexpressibly sad are all holidays. And I know some of us in this room, because I've been there. I've been there. Listen to me. I have been there. When holidays would come up, everybody else would be so joyful, but I would be sad. I don't have time to go into all the details, but I know what you, I know what you're feeling. He felt that. A year after his wife died, he wrote these words. I can, know, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. The following year, December 25th, his, 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 his journal read, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. It was a year later, the year 1863, he received word that his oldest son, Charles, who was a lieutenant in the Army of the Potomac, had been severely wounded with a bullet passing under his shoulder and out his back. The Christmas of 1863, Longfellow was silent. He wrote nothing in his journal. But oh, Christmas 19, 1864, on Christmas of 1864, something shifted. His son didn't die, but he was injured. His wife, she wasn't coming back. His grief was all over him. But in 1864, on Christmas Day, from what I've been able to research, he heard those familiar bells reading, ringing on that day. But somehow the Holy Spirit came and visited him that day. And he picked up his pen and he began to write some words. Maybe it was because the president at the time was bringing an end to the Civil War. Maybe it was simply because he heard the bells in a way he had never heard them before in his life. But I do know this. It was because God is faithful. Faithful in every situation. Dwayne is going to sing this song. I want you to listen to it. And there's going to be a couple of lines in this song that I want you to hear clearly. Because Longfellow's Christmas bells loudly proclaim, God is not dead. Even more, his song announced, nor doth he sleep. His song is a testimony to God's truth, power, and justice. His song 
says these words, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail. This message that Longfellow was finally able to write after all these years of being in darkness, of, knowing, of, of just asking, Lord, how long, how long, when are we going to get through this? He was able to proclaim in the close of that song, oh, peace on earth, goodwill to me. Just listen to the song. Those praying, just come up front. But I want you to just sit. Just sit. Listen to the words. Let them speak to your heart. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, there Thank you. 